0: Just want to just take just a second to remember where we've been. Um, it took us two weeks to get through the intro of Romans, and I believe from a from a contextual standpoint, from a, uh, a writer, who's he writing to, the who, where, why, we've covered that in a way that I believe that we're now ready to start getting into the text. Um, I, I I think it's important that as you continue to learn to study on your own as you pour some of, through some of Scripture with the who, where, and why. That you're now as you start to study this, and you're always thinking about that. How much it helps you understand what's happening in the Scripture. It's so important for you to understand what is happening in Scripture from a uh, a little higher fire tower view. Than just opening your Bible and start reading. So I think that we've uh, we're prepared enough to get into the text, and I'm really excited. So here we go. This is Romans one. Uh, today we are going to get through the first four verses of Romans of Romans. And so uh, I know that's um, that's uh, it's a big. Would you say <laughs> it's, it's a big day, right? To pull through four verses, uh, but we're going to try our best. So here we go. So the first one is Paul. A servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So this is how he is starting his letter to the church in Rome here. And he's made some pretty big statements here that he wants the church to know about himself. The first one is, he's he's here he's identifying three things. The first one is, he is identifying his position as a servant of Christ. And this is something that would be really easy to just kind of move quickly through, but there's a lot of depth here in this first thing that he's identifying. First, he he chooses that this is the first thing that he wants them to know about him. This is the first thing, his name, and then how he identifies himself. And so he's calling himself a servant of Christ Jesus, right? So here's servant, the word that he actually writes is dulas, which is servant slave or bondservant. Now remember, what we know about Paul is he is highly theologically trained. He's old, he is theologically trained from, the, from Judaism to learn about the Old Testament and their way of life. And then he has now been supernaturally taught by Jesus himself or the Holy Spirit in his uh, supernatural seminary that he had. So he is using the word that he uses here is really important. Now remember, he's he's writing this in Greek. He ha, but he has a he also has a, a a Hebrew mind about this word. He's writing to uh, most likely Jewish people that have either fled from Judea to Rome. And also Romans that are there that speak Greek. So he's so, but but the word here is really important that he uses. Now Paul uses two two Greek words when he's talking about servant in a lot of his writings, and the first one is doulos, which is a little more um, closer to how the Roman people spoke about in slavery, about oppressive slavery that they um, they had. Slavery that existed in the Roman culture. The other word he uses is is more directly uh, uh, associated with table waiter. So someone who would come and serve and wait a table. Paul here, I think, chooses the two one of the two words that more uh, directly in lines with the seriousness of um, of the of of his position as servant. Now. Remember, he's he's writing this in Greek, but he's got a Hebrew mind of what this word servant is. Now, servant's found all through the Old Testament, and it means something very different in the Old Testament than it does in this Greek word. And the the Hebrew word is ebed, and it actually means bondsman, one who freely gives up their freedom because they can't care for themselves, and so they lock themselves in, into indentured servanthood the the in exodus there's a verse in exodus where um it talks about this kind of embed in a little deeper way where the servant would come to the master and go i'm i i don't want to do anything else but serve you you care for me so well all i want to do is serve you in your house and so this really weird thing would happen the master would then take the servant to the door And they would take an owl and drive an owl through their ear for some strange reason to the door just to symbolize that you are locked into this indentured servanthood. But it was a willing servanthood. And I think that here Paul is using a little more of the Hebrew uh, term but the seriousness of the Greek term to talk about how he feels about himself to Jesus Christ. To the Messiah, that's what he's doing here in this word. Um, so uh, here we go. Servanthood amongst Jews in the Old Testament was very different than Roman slavery. Uh, next slide. Here we go. Um, here we go. Called to be so the next the next one that he has that he's that he's identifying here in the first verse is called to be an apostle. So he is claiming authority. Of being an actual of being an actual apostle, so there are thirteen people in Scripture that generally refers to themselves as apostles, and it is the twelve that that followed in in, in, in Jesus's footsteps. Then Judas exits the scene because of what he does. They replace Judas with Matthias, and so that was the twelve and then Paul. Those are the 13 people in Scripture that refer to themselves uh, as apostles. And so basically what he's doing is he's giving the church in Rome his resume by claiming to be an apostle, by being not only just saying that I'm an apostle and I'm claiming myself as apostle, but I've been called to be an apostle so he's giving a little bit of his resume he's had his divine training with the holy spirit he spent time with the with the disciples that actually uh followed jesus through his ministry and then he's also saying that i was called to be an, an actual apostle through my interaction and calling with the risen lord on the on the road to damascus so he's giving a little bit of his authority into calling himself an apostle so here in the Greek, the word is apostolos, which, t- which d- just directly translates to one officially sent. So that's what the word apostle means, is one officially sent, a delegate messenger, one, with, one sent with orders. Um, and, and I would say in, in relation to the early church, the title apostle was mostly reserved for those that actually got officially sent by Christ himself. Um, now there are some, and we'll even find here in verse five that the ter- when, it, when the term is used a little more loosely, meaning a call to believer or to send—I'm sorry—to send send believers. So there is some places in Scripture that even Paul himself uh, calls people to apostlehood or apostleship. But here in, in the actual title in the in the New Testament that's generally reserved for people that were officially sent by christ and that's what paul's uh, explaining to the church here is i i am a i am a bond servant of jesus christ and i was called by him to be an apostle that was one that was officially sent and then next was um set apart for the gospel of god that's the third thing here that finally he's he's finally saying his power uh, is being set apart for the good news. Now, it'd be really quick to run through this, but we'd be missing out on some things about this set apart. Um, the Greek for set apart is a frizia, uh, I can't, I've, I've tried in my living room several times to say this, but it's A-P-H-O-R-I-Z-O. Anybody want to take a stab at it? Come on, somebody. A frizo. A frizo. nice. The Hebrew word, though, that was that 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 that's actually where a lot of the context here that we're gonna get is kodesh and it is used all through scripture all through the old testament i mean a ton it's used 172 times uh, in the in the hebrew bible all through now i think it was it's interesting point here that we're gonna talk because of paul's study of uh, the, uh, the Old Testament, you're going to hear me say a lot of times, you're going to hear me call the Old Testament the Hebrew Bible. And I think it's important here for you to understand um, a, a little bit of the, the, the Old Testament that you have in your Bible is generally not laid out like what the Jewish people laid out their Bible. The Jewish people uh, laid their Hebrew Bible out, and, and it was known as the Tanakh. And, it's, and it's, a, it's, it's a word that's got several different words mashed into it. And it means, basically, the Torah, the ta, is the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. It's the law. Um, and then it was laid out into the Nevi'im, which is, see if you see T-A, and the next one is N-A, that means Nevi'im, which means the prophets. So it's all of the, most of the major and most of the minor prophets in the Old Testament were lumped together. And then the last part of it, the K-H, is the Ketuvim, which means the writings. And it's pretty much everything else that wasn't a prophetic book or wasn't the law. And so throughout this whole Tanakh, throughout the whole Hebrew Bible, this word Kodesh is found 172 times. And so it was really an important part of the Jewish language in how they saw themselves and what God said about them, like what God said about Israel was that they were set apart. And so, um, oh, I've right here, uh, the 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 mikra was, means the readings. Generally, the Hebrew people and even um, um, the Hebrew, le- I'm mean, sorry, the Jewish leaders would not call this uh, the Tanakh. They would actually refer to it as the mikra, um, which was the readings. So anyways, the... Um, Uh, God uses this word, Kodesh, to classify his people as being set apart and holy. He said, you are a set apart people that I am going to um, save the world through you. I am going to um, set you apart as holy um, to to, 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 to redeem the world. And so Paul actually here, by saying the words set apart for the good news of God, is that Paul's identifying himself as a part of the ancient plan of God fulfilled to set apart, he was set apart to tell the good news. So next slide here, we're going to move into um, the, the last part of, of this last word, this gospel of God in Romans 1, uh, 1, and that was the gospel of God. Now, the gospel... Um, Word, the, the word gospel in the Greek is, I actually wrote this one out so we could actually say it, and that's euanglion, right? That's the word gospel in the Greek, and um, Jesus himself tells us uh, what he means by this in Acts 26, 15 through 18, because it's Jesus finishing telling Paul what he was supposed to do as a, as a sent one. And, it's, and Jesus says to Paul that he has said, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So here, Jesus is saying that he is sending Paul to go tell the good news of God. He and, and Paul is also saying that he was set apart in ancient times for this exact job of telling the good news of God. So here in the second part, it was the, the, the second verse here is, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So Paul a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which by the way he promised beforehand through his prophets the Neavim in the Holy Spirit in the Holy Scriptures. So basically what he's saying now is this isn't old news. This is not old news because Paul was accused during Paul's ministry all the time of creating a new religion, of creating this new thing that was um Heretical to, to the writings. It was heretical to to it was heretical to rabbinic teaching, but definitely heretical to the Old Testament. And Paul here's saying, false. What this is not a new thing. This was promised by God. This big, this he here and two is referring back to God. Not, not, not Jesus, but the Father is referring back to God, which he promised beforehand. Through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, in the Holy Scriptures. This is not new news. And this is, and, and this is gonna be proven by um, the writings. said, so God had already spoken about the gospel all through their writings. The problem was that they spent so much time reading rabbinic writings that they didn't see the good news when it showed up. See, these rabbis who would study the Old Testament would then have all of these writings they would sit down in their in their studies and they would start writing all of this stuff about what they thought about the old testament what they thought about the tanakh and how they interpreted. it and rabbis continued to do that and and create this teaching that was followed in a way that was even stronger than following what the writings were like they they followed them and so There's been so much written in rabbinic writings that it had just watered this down and and was part of the reason, other than their hard hearts, of why so many people that knew uh, the writings missed it. So here we move into uh, verse 3, which is, uh, he says, "...which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who is descended from David according to the flesh." So here we go, remember, this is the second possessive here, which he's saying, he's still referring back to this God here, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand concerning his son. So he's talking about, he's saying that God, that Jesus is in fact deity because he is possessive into his meaning God from the first verse. So he's proclaiming Jesus' deity here, and then he goes, "And who descended from David according to the flesh." Now the word descended here is important because of how many places in the Old Testament that the prophecy said that the Messiah would come out of David's line. This was really important to the Jews, was that, it, that when the Messiah showed up, that his lineage would definitely come. Uh, From David. And so, from 2 Samuel, from Psalms, from Isaiah, and from Jeremiah, the list goes on of the prophecy that that, that the Messiah would come out of the line of David. And here, um, uh, Paul is claiming that we know that he has descended from David according to the flesh because Mary and Joseph uh, had their, their lineage pointing all the way back to David. So he's saying that Jesus fits the Jewish bill. The bill that you say that the Messiah has to fit from the Old Testament, that Jesus does, in fact, do that, and we know that that Mary and Joseph fit that bill from uh, lineage from Luke 3.23, Matthew 1.6, and then then some of another parts in Luke. So um, Paul here is claiming that, um, that, that, that that Jesus was promised beforehand through the prophets he is God's son, and we, and he, but he also was descended from David through the flesh. So here in Romans 4, we move into a little further. So it said, and was declared to be the son of God. This is the first part of verse 4. So he said here that he promised beforehand through the prophets, he descended from David through the flesh, and then was declared to be the Son of God. So not only, he didn't think this was enough here at the end of verse 2, but now he's pretty much said, and then God himself declared that, that, that Jesus was exact, was indeed his Son. So Son here, this is a really interesting thing uh, to grasp when talking about all of this. this word Son. Son is an incarnational word reserved for flesh. So incarnational just means to take on flesh from a spiritual state, right? So he's saying here that he was declared to be the son of God. He was promised before, but now he got declared. And I think that's really interesting because if you have to be declared the son, that means the question is, is, well, was Jesus the Son? Was Jesus Son in the Trinity before he took on flesh? That's a little confusing. But I think that it's important that Jesus couldn't be declared as Son until he put on the robe of humanity, until he actually took on and made the decision to put on flesh. He couldn't declare to be the Son of God, but he was in expectation. I think that, that Jesus was always Son, but couldn't declare it until he fulfilled it in the Incarnation. So important as, as, as Paul here uh, talk, uh, is classifying um, that Jesus was declared the Son of God. And so declared here, the Greek word is horizon. What, what English word does that sound like? horizon, that's right. So the word here in declared is marking off boundaries. And if you think about that, where we get the English word horizon, it's the line between heaven and earth when you look out, right? And so here, horizon, he's using that the divine sonship was marked off with absolute clarity in Jesus's, coordination here we go so son of god the last part of this um, is really an interesting thing that we must as maturing believers get our arms around and that christ took on this title of son to the full he when he was declared son he took this title on to the full when he divested himself of independent use of his divine prerogatives and full expression of of majesty, of majesty, graciously humbling himself and becoming fully submissive to the will and the plan of the Father. So I know it's a lot of words and it's really wordy, but if you think about it like this, is that Je- is it Jesus as the Son of God pre-incarnation had all of the divine prerogatives in His power as being a part of the Trinity when He decided to take on flesh and move into the neighborhood he willfully divested himself of some of those powers he set himself under the father's will that's why when you're reading all through jesus's words through the gospels he's constantly saying not my will but the will of the father right so like he willfully divested himself of these powers but was still also fully God, and that's a mystery of the faith that, as ma- mature believers, we've got to continue to try to wrap our arms around about Jesus's power, and then what um, under to understand here what Paul is is teaching uh, the church in Rome. Philippians two five through eight says, um, "Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through who though he was in the form of God." Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here the Church of uh, Philippians is some more, a little bit more writing about how God how the second person in the Trinity willfully um, emptied himself of his divine prerogatives so that he could do the work of the good news. So here we go. Finishing up verse 4, it says, And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's the end of verse four. And so here it says, "In power according to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the holiness. So the Holy Spirit displays the power to raise Jesus from the dead. So here Paul's saying, "Hey, because of the power, not this because Jesus was actually God's Son, the Holy Spirit used his power over the, the, the natural world to resurrect Jesus from the dead. And so Paul's saying he's part of this trinity and the Holy Spirit raised through his power, raised Jesus from the dead. Only the giver of life can defeat death, and this gives Jesus the irrefutable evidence of his divine sonship. That's a, hu- that's a pretty huge statement that Paul's making here is that Jesus? there's irrefutable evidence of Jesus' divine sonship. So um, then the last part of it is Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, and so here, if you look at these words that he uses, uh, the Jesus' name itself means salvation. Christ means anointed one. And Lord means sovereign ruler. So these the, Jesus' name here at the end, uh, Paul is condensing here to go um, that all of these things are true about... Oops, am I, am I pushing a button that's making a... Okay, okay. Um, because Jesus, his name is Jesus because he saves people from their sin. His name is Christ because he has been anointed by God as king and priest. And his name is Lord because he is God and his sovereign ruler of the universe, is how he finishes up verse 4 here. So here's what we just studied, that Paul, a servant a willing servant that's willing to be a bondservant of the Messiah, whose name was Jesus. I'm called to be an apostle. I was called by Jesus. I have authority to tell you of the good news. Not only that, but I've been set apart, just like in the Hebrew Bible. Just like Israel, I've been set apart for this really important job and that was the gospel of God which the gospel was the telling of the good news so I was set apart and sent officially to bring you this good news this good news God promised us from ancient of days this news was so good that he's been telling you about this for a really long time I'm not making anything new up he told you that he was going to save us. And it was told way beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning God's Son. By, and he, by saying that, he's claiming Jesus deity. Oh, by the way, who was descended from David according to the flesh, which means he fit the bill of the ancient prophecies. Jesus fit the bill of who, was, who God was going to send and how he was going to send them and was declared to be the Son of God. Remember, when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened up, and a booming voice said, remember what it said? What's that? Who I'm well pleased. God himself, when the second he ordained him, opened the the heavens and said, this is my Son, who I'm well pleased. And what else came out of the sky? Came out of the sky. Remember? The Holy Spirit like a dove. So here the three persons of the Trinity are declaring the good news of what their plan was in the Son of God. And in the power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. God's Son was raised up and defeated death. It's never been done because of the power of the third person in the Trinity. And because that happened... Jesus Christ is our Lord. He saved us from our sins. He was anointed by God to do so. And oh, by the way, he is God. Dear Lord, what a powerful sentence written by your apostle, Paul. It says a lot about who you are and what you had for us. And so, Lord, this morning as we come together as the body and we're studying these things, um, we're thankful for you sending the Holy Spirit to us so that we could know um, what it is this morning that you would have us know about you. Lord, thank you for all of the people throughout history that have studied um, the original language and the original intent so that 2,000 years later we can study this alongside the Holy Spirit and understand the power of what you're what you're claiming Lord as your people we're thankful to be called we're thankful uh, to be set apart you've set us apart for a part of the divine theater of your story of what you've done to redeem the world and we're thankful to get to be a part of it I am especially thankful this morning for the people in this room and what they mean to me um, and what they mean to each other. It is an incredible um, gift, Lord, the gift of community. And so as we study your claims um, in Scripture together, we are all proclaiming that they're true together, and we are reaping the benefit of claiming your truth out loud to the world by the gift of community that you've given us. And so, Lord, help us to not miss it. Help us to not put our heads down and grind through our jobs and, not, and miss the gift of community that you've given us. Because that it, it, it is, um, it is a, a, a huge gift that you want to bless us with. So, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank, for, thank you for each other. Um, help us not compartmentalize our faith, Lord, as we go about our work, um, that we see the work that we do preparing this place for kids this weekend um, as our spiritual act of worship and help us talk about it with each other while we go about our work. Thank you for everything you've done for us, and we love you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen.